Section 24 of Biographical Memoir of John Wesley Powell, 1834-1902, to by William Morris Davis. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Section 24. Synthetic Essays. It should be borne in mind that Powell's adoption of a generalized or synthetic style of presentation for the articles here cited, and for many others, was by no means because he had no command of other styles. He was capable of writing admirable narrative, as was early shown in his famous report on the voyage to the Colorado Canyon. He could present a difficult problem argumentatively, and with rare common sense, as is evident from his memorable report on the lands of the arid regions. He published in much detail the long stories and myths that he gathered with painstaking care from his Indian friends. He set forth, in a carefully analyzed form, the system of tribal government of the Wyandot, and he had the patience and perseverance necessary for elaborate induction, as will appear when we consider his monograph on Indian linguistic families. Yet his usual method of writing, especially in his later years, consisted in the synthetic exposition of large problems, without the citation of sources or the mention of particular instances, but with abundant imagery and seemingly overabundant reiteration. It may be well believed that pressure of work was in large measure responsible for these peculiarities of composition. He was ever ready to draw off a generous flood from his great reservoir of knowledge, but he had no time to trace the flood back to its spring of supply. Powell's liking for generalization had been early shown in his classification of valleys and in his treatment of the broad principle of the base level of erosion, but in these two problems he was dealing with inorganic factors which behave in the same way the world over. In ethnological problems, on the other hand, no one continent affords a sufficient base for all embracing conclusions of the kind that one frequently meets in Powell's essays, and hence a reader who did not look farther than the printed page might infer that the conclusions there stated were sometimes broader than their foundation. Such a misjudgment would, however, only show that Powell's synthetic style of presentation did not reflect his habitual method of investigation. Most of his essays give no direct indication of the extended observation and the abundant reading on which their conclusions rest, for Powell was a profound believer in the scientific method of investigation, which regards the observation of visible facts as the essential first step in the approach to theoretical inferences as to invisible facts, and which finds in frequent return to observation the only means of verifying the correctness of the theoretical inferences. He had a great confidence in the results thus gained and accepted their guidance wherever they led. A reader of the synthetic essays may sometimes feel not only that their author does not adduce a sufficient number of facts for the support of the generalizations, to which he rapidly rises, but that he not infrequently passes over from induction of generalizations to deduction of consequences from them without giving sufficient notice of his passage. 
For this reason, his essays do not necessarily carry conviction to one who is uninformed of the patient research by the rigorous methods of science that lay behind them. Evidently, in such case, the failure to carry conviction should not be charged to insufficient investigation on Powell's part, but rather to the condensed form of presentation which he was forced to adopt, alike by his many original ideas, which called for expression, and by his many administrative duties that called for execution. The absence of citations may, furthermore, contribute to a feeling that some of his essays are too speculative, for in these modern days of international acquaintance it has become the fashion for an author to give the source and authority of every statement that lies outside his own responsibility. But Powell did not read French or German, and his method of work did not allow him to follow this fashion, even if he cared to, and he probably did not care to. He had learned his lesson, and it was the lesson, not the textbook, that interested him. Footnotes and references to sources are wanting in nearly all of his publications. If he had attempted to cite authorities with any completeness, he would never have had time to finish his work. Hence, when one of his addresses presents an evident inference in the form of an observed fact, for example, quote, the primary and principal source of disagreement among primitive men at the inception of organized society grew out of their desires for the possession of women. End quote. Presidential Address, Outlines of Sociology, Anthropological Society of Washington, 1, 1882, page 116, and cites no evidence in support of it. We must understand that the object for which the address was prepared made bibliographic completeness unnecessary, and that the conditions under which it was prepared made such completeness impossible. Sometimes the inferential nature of adopted conclusions is more explicitly set forth, as in the following extracts regarding the primitive condition of mankind, which form a summary for several paragraphs of more detailed statement. Quote, it will thus be seen that from the five great coordinate departments of anthropology, in other words, from somatology, technology, sociology, philology, and philosophy, we arrive at the common conclusion that man was widely scattered throughout the earth at some early period in his history in a very low state of culture. Then in such state he utilized the materials at hand, the loose stones of the earth, the shells stranded on the shores, the broken trunks and branches of trees, and we further discover that he was organized into small tribes, doubtless scattered by every bay and inlet of the seas, along the shores of all the inland lakes, and every bend of the great rivers, and on every creek of the habitable earth. Arts, institutions, languages, and philosophies have therefore a vast multiplicity of origins, and in tracing the outlines of their history, we trace the change from multiplicity toward unity. Human Evolution, Transactions of Anthropology Society of Washington, 2, 1883, pages 181-182. 
Even in this instance, the last sentence falls into the more habitual form of assertion, although with little danger of being misunderstood because of the context. It must, however, be recognized that in certain other cases, the presentation of an inference in the guise of a fact is carried dangerously far. It is very probably true that, quote, attitudes of the body developed into gestures and sound-making into oral speech, and the active organs of language were specialized, and, finally, oral speech, to a large extent, superseded gesture speech, end quote. And yet, even if true, it is nonetheless an inference. One may agree that, quote, each minute structure within the body is in part the same as the antecedent structure and in part changed therefrom by the force of impressions from without, and that it is in this manner that impressions are recorded so that the structure itself is a product of all coexistent and antecedent agencies. But it is a long step then to assert, without qualification, out of this arises memory. Human Evolution, Presidential Address, Anthropological Society of Washington, 2, 1883, pages 184 and 187. End of section 24.